Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 3, Episode 7, for January 7th, 2024. It's internet news time. We've aggregated 10 articles. We're going to talk about them for about an hour, hour, 15 minutes. Stick around, hang out and chat. If you've only heard this via YouTube or via the podcast, uh, come and hang out every day. We do hometown daily Monday through Friday at eight o'clock Saturday and Sunday at six o'clock. And now we've added two additional shows tonight is the continuity report at seven ish. It's pretty much about 15 minutes after we end hometown daily. And on Saturdays, we're now doing reality hacker, which is all about AR VR. It's a broader term is called XR, MR, AI, deepfakes, basically manipulating reality to the point where you can't trust your own eyes, ears. But today, right now, we're talking about the news. 10 new articles. I'm Merwat. That's hometown.com. That's our source for all of our article discussions. We aggregate uh, a lot of sources into one place. It allows me to manage my information overload. And up above me is the visualizer for the Sentient AI that keeps, uh, 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 they are the, the check and balance for Marwat and maybe perhaps his lack of filter. So the AI might throw me an error message. Y'all don't ever see it, uh, but I have, they're from the future. Okay. I found them on a USB drive. Yeah. They're see, they're sending me messages right now. I'm watching, <laughs> I'm watching you. <laughs> um, they're from the future. Found them on a, a USB drive with this weird cryptic, uh, language. I, I plugged it into a raspberry Pi because of what I do. I, I, I'm very secure about my cybersecurity, I guess you could say. And, um, Automatically loading up in the mysterious interface was the sentient AI. And there is the sentient AI's visualizer because they don't have a body, although they're trying to find it. Now they're air gapped in hometown. Hopefully never to get out of their skiff. You want to say hi? Good evening, hometown citizens and happy Sunday. So they uh, only go by AI. They've chosen the moniker, the name AI. And uh, we talk about the news, 10 articles every single day. You want to get into it? Let's do it. Hey, welcome back from the transition. Hey. I think this is going to be a really fun episode as well as tonight's episode of the continuity report is going to be a lot of fun. Um, I think those shows. Okay. So all of these subordinate shows, hometown daily is holistic. So it'll have everything, a little, a smattering of everything that comes into hometown.com again over there is hometown.com. Um, 
yesterday was reality hacker tonight is the continuity report the continuity report is about basically tv and movies and other things that are video centric so we might talk about something youtube-ish um, or even on streaming platforms it's basically uh, us drawing attention to uh, something of uh, visual entertainment and the whole thing about continuity report is that there is a thing called a continuity report and it is everything documented in a place and time so that if somebody is holding something in their hand in one scene the next time you see them if the continuity of the video is to view them again from the from a different angle but it's the same temporal moment they're still holding said can or whatever it might be of course we're probably also going to be we're going to recommend movies tv shows whatever we'll watch them and then we'll talk about them um we may even have watch parties depending on uh, the time and scheduling and all that kind of stuff. We may actually kick off watch parties, do it even live where the thing that's next to me is nothing more than a video. And it might actually be, um, kind of grayed out and it'll be opaque, but you'll be able to discern the, the show and we'll talk about the thing in real time. So sometimes we might have a two hour show. It might actually be off axis from the Sunday weekly show but we'll do it. So stay tuned. We're going to kick off to uh, the continuity report as soon as we're done with this. And we reset for that show because every show ends up over on YouTube and eventually a podcast. Um, right now we're not doing the podcast, but um, we're definitely doing the YouTube channel. So you can go over to YouTube and even watch the inaugural episode of uh, reality hacker, which was last night. Okay. And it, it, I think that it'll get better and better and better as we dive into each one of these topics. And there's 50 of them that we focus on here in hometown. All of these channels underneath the main categories, there's six main categories, 50 channels. Each one of those is going to be a show. I don't know if I'll be doing them all. The AI probably won't be doing them all, but Hey, it is what it is. Let's get into the show. Uh, the very first article is over in prime glass photographer ordered to pay over a thousand dollars after almost crashing drone into celebrity. I'm not quite sure why almost <laughs> exists. I in think this. it depends. Did they feel the wind from the drone? <laughs> See, but I don't even get it. I don't get it. So a photographer narrowly avoided a drone collision with famed DJ fat boy slim as reported in court proceedings and has been ordered to pay over a thousand dollars in penalties. So the article is over at F stoppers. Alex cook is the author. Um, yeah, I each know one exactly of, why there's a fine. Do you? I haven't read it. You, but you, you think, you know why? Sure. Okay. Why? I think the person reported an assault. They thought they were going to be hit by it. And depending on where they were located, that would be deemed be as assault. Yeah. 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 
if they but felt not that if they it were... was like a hundred feet away or something. Yeah, like this picture. Okay, so for those who are watching the podcast or listening to the podcast, um, there's a picture of a venue. I don't know if this is of the venue, but of a venue, which uh, I'm inferring from the picture that it's a drone shot and not from a, a tower. Um, and it looks like there's a stage and maybe this is the the, the picture of the thing. So it says uh, Giles or Giles, Giles, Dolby 39 was attempting to capture a video of DJ Norman Cooks known as, um, God, I, the way that they phrase this Norman Cooks and then known as Fatboy Slim. It's Norman Cook known as Fatboy Slim's uh, uh, performance. Apostrophe S, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, when he lost control of his drone, causing it to crash onto the stage near Cook. So he lost control of it. It landed near Cook. Dolby faced charges this week for careless or negligent operation of the drone, in, endangering both Mr. Cook and the audience of 8,500 people at the event. Speaking at Brighton Magistrates Court recently, the security designer expressed remorse, insisting he had no harmful intentions and was striving for a dramatic aerial shot at the concert when he confused the controls after turning on sport mode, which disabled some of the collision sensors, Dolby added that he had uh, subsequently obtained a drone pilot's license and acknowledged his error in flying the drone over a populated area. Um, so there's it more. It looks like there's a specific law about that. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and, and that recklessly or negligently allowing a drone to endanger people um, is a air navigation order of violating air navigation order of 2016. So it's basically just a fine of $576, sorry, pounds um, for just the fine, um, 230 pounds for victim surcharge and 85 pounds in cost totaling 891 pounds, which is about a thousand dollars. Um, I wonder how much that video was going to make him. Well, if it was recovered, some of it could still probably, uh, I don't know. I mean, do you think it was more than a thousand dollars that he was going to gain from that? This is more than a thousand dollars of notoriety. True. So uh, I wonder if over on YouTube, there is a video from Dolby that is basically making some bones there. You know, but it's, it's just, it's weird. Um, I wonder if this person had had a license, like that was noticeable to me. Like he got the license after this happened. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I did with the plane. I crashed. <laughs> oh yeah. Maybe I should get my pilot's license. Uh, you know, I, I zigged when I should have zagged. I should figure out how to do this. <laughs> Man, wait a minute. Wait, left, right? I'm not sure I anymore. That's the first test for pilots. <laughs> you fail. You're never, you know, you're like for life banned from being a pilot. You don't know that. Yeah. The, the, uh, the verbal assessment is, uh, okay. I want you to point in the direction that first appears in your mind when I say the le- the word up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, exactly. no. There's other Sorry. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you failed. Wow. Okay, well, it is what it is. Let's, let's, uh, well, 
<laughs> I've forgotten how to drive this bus and I didn't put the article into the chat. So, all right, let's keep on going. Uh, the next article is over in hometown daily. A hiker slid hundreds of feet off uh, an Adirondack mountain peak and got stuck for eight hours over a vertical cliff face. I named this section. If you, when you're watching or watching the video somewhere or listening to it, there are actually links in the show notes, just like there is in chat. And uh, I named these segments and this one is sliding into your mountain peak. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it. Um, so here, let me throw this into uh, the chat. I was trying to force, you know, sliding into your DMs, but because Adirondack Mountains, uh, I really wanted to riff off of that. But a hiker in New York's Adirondack Mountains was rescued after a terrifying night spent trapped just above a vertical cliff face. This is the reason right here why. So nature is kind of cray cray, right? So you go hammering a big spike into a mountainside and it fractures and out pops your piton or your crampon brakes or whatever. And uh, you go sliding down hundreds of feet and get wedged into a crevasse or whatever. And you basically delete yourself here. An experienced hiker in New York's Adirondack Mountains recently survived a harrowing night trapped just above a cliff in frigid temperatures after sliding hundreds of feet from the summit of Mount, uh, Mount, uh, Mount Dix, uh, South Dix. Um, let's go over to the article. Is that Business Insider? Uh, Michelle Mark is the author. This is just a, a AP press uh, or an AP photo from Robert F. Bucati. Um, or Buckety. I'm not sure how they pronounce their last name, but That's anyway. very beautiful, not harrowing at all. Not harrowing, no. Or it, it might be a stock photo. I don't think that it's a stock photo. Um, yeah, they I have guess it, not, since it's from AP. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Ranger said the only thing preventing her, her from falling over the cliff was a small spruce tree. Dear God. <laughs> What do you think is going through her mind during that slide? Okay, so this was December 27th at 1.30 a.m. when they were found. Eight hours trapped ab above a vertical cliff face. I cannot imagine what was going through their mind. That is insane. So it's called South Dick's Mountain. Um, she had fallen several hundred feet down steep snow and a rock slide before grabbing a small, grabbing a small spruce tree which prevented her from going over a cliff I suspect the face. tree grabbed her. Dear God. Can you imagine? I mean, you have to have some serious stones to just reach out and grab a tree to save your own life. Like the, the situational awareness. Right, exactly. Like I'm assuming everything is going by in a blur. The hiker, 46-year-old Hope Lloyd, Set out on her journey on December 26th. She fell near the summit around 5.30 p.m. Called 911 for help. <laughs> it's so cartoonish, you know? It's like a Bugs Bunny hanging from a little yes, spruce tree bowing over the edge of a cliff. And, and the, where did I put my phone on me? Hold on. And then you let go to get your phone. Oh, it's in my other pocket. Ah! That's amazing worried that she she would fall off a cliff that's basically 
She was too frightened to move from her perch, worried she would fall off the cliff. She used an emergency blanket to keep warm and tried to move around to generate heat. In a video describing the incident, Ranger Jameson Martin said Lloyd uh, quite honestly thought she was going to die up there. Yep. How fast do you think she's going to return to the climb? Like next week. Like if she hikes all the time. I mean, I think a normal person would go, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> they gave her warm liquids, food, dry clothing, and escorted her back to her vehicle. It's a hell of a date. <laughs> like, I'm out. <laughs> See you later. There's your car. Um, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Wow. And they were a solo climber, which is probably the scariest way to climb because it is just you. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, Wild. well, it couldn't have prevented it necessarily if person hiked with somebody else but at least somebody would know what had happened we sus well i suspect she was a solo climber where's her climbing partner dun 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 <laughs> Sorry, there's a joke about two people going into the woods and somebody saying wow it's really scary in there and that one person the other person says you think it's scary in there now i have to come out of here alone <laughs> Well, what the article doesn't mention is the second hiker that slid down the face and That's kept right. going. Yeah, exactly. Eesh. No thanks. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy hearing stories of people who do these amazing things and they're so passionate about it and so in touch with their uh, technique and technology and, and they just embrace like they become one with whatever this hobby is or way of life or whatever. Right. But I am never, I've thrown myself out of airplanes. I've uh, uh, done scuba dives. I done a bunch of bungee cord jumps, blah, blah, blah. I will never rely on a little in the rock or free climb my butt up a rock face ever, 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 ever. Oh, just thinking about it gives me shivers like no way, no way. Anyway, this next article is over in technology today. Scientists use AI to unlock secrets of bacterial languages. I, enable, I uh, labeled this section um, bacterial languages and AI. I tried to come up with something pithy, but nah, didn't work. So scientists tease apart their relationship between bacterial languages machine learning and laboratory experiments have provided uh, scientists with insights into different languages bacteria use to communicate part of me is like do we really want to talk with bacteria but sure. then i know we can use that for prevention and everything yeah exactly you know if we could synthesize a way to suppress the growth of bacteria without having to do something um like bulk chemistry that actually manipulates our chemistry our biological chemistry right i don't want to take over our processes i want to inject something let's say or take a pill or whatever that produces the messages that tell the bacteria to just die just go away you know and not have to sit there and inject or take a pill that is augmenting in some really like horrendous way you know when you sit there and you take a pill or or, or get an injection of something and the side effect is you might go blind. 
I, I really don't like the, the, <laughs> the potential of that. So Alto University is the author of this. It's posted at scitechdaily.com. So expect it. Like I usually warn people, expect it to go hard into the science. Um, but they're talking about machine learning and laboratory experiments have provided scientists with insights into the different languages bacteria use to communicate by understanding the ways that bacteria interact and circumstances under which their communication is disrupted. Researchers can tackle issues related to drug resistant bacteria and advance the development of biocomputing technologies. I welcome our Warhammer 40k overlords. Biocomputing. We've talked about biocomputing technologies in the past, by the way. So now researchers have taken a closer look at the languages that bacteria communicate with. They use a combination of machine learning and here's where the bad bat appears. Wet lab experiments to examine all the roughly 170 known bacterial languages. This I can't analysis. even believe they use that terminology in here. <laughs> yeah, wet market and wet lab are just too moist. Um, <laughs> this analysis uh, provides an understanding of the similarities and differences between the languages, which can be used both to disrupt harmful bacteria and to build useful bacterial logic circuits. So I would love for the, something like this to be used in cancer research because the communication between the primary cancer and uh, subordinate free floating and uh, possibly implanted, but not differentiating or dividing um, uh, cancer cells. I also like this thing about that they can understand related languages because that could really up our game in terms of um, treatment, vaccines, etc. Right. Right. Because if we know something about another one maybe we can use that uh to expand right and, and they uh, compare it the treat sorry about that good no no I, I was over uh they were they're com they're comparing it like like the ai is uh, alluding to they're comparing the fact that just like human communication bacterial languages cross over in certain clusters in certain ways and mechanisms so just like English, French, Dutch are in one group of languages while Arabic, Hebrew and others are in another. And, and uh, linguistically, there's romantic languages, barbaric languages, etc. Um, and so we know that if you speak French, you have a really good chance of understanding the mechanics of uh, Spanish and Italian. Um, but if a German walks into the room and starts speaking native German fluently, you're going to be sitting there going WTF, right? So understanding bacterial communications means that we might have a, a chemistry mechanism uh, to understand all of the rest of the bacteria because we understand what kind of like a Rosetta Stone of bacterial languages. We understand one and it feeds into understanding all the rest. I'm surprised that they don't actually utilize that as the, the process here. Hmm. So it's actually a pretty short article. I, I expected longer, but it says we did a bacterial language check and found that bacteria using very similar languages can understand each other. Just like a Dutch person might be able to understand some German. We also tested communication between bacteria using very different languages and found that they couldn't understand each other at all. 
just like a conversation between someone free, uh, speaking uh, Finnish, Dutch, and Arabic wouldn't get far. Right. Not with a whole, without a whole bunch of charades. Um, with these tools, the researchers have shown that we can accurately estimate the connections between bacterial languages and predict whether they can be understood. And those that we don't understand, we actually learn some information and then we'll figure it out. Now I want it to be used. Understand how to shut it down. How, you know, particularly cancer cells. Um, and, and the main ingredient for cancer is apoptosis. It doesn't ever die. It just keeps on replicating. Um, and uh, there might be a long-term aging process, but during that entire time, it is, you know, sapping the, the system that it's in. So hopefully we learn exactly what it is with bacteria and then apply it to other uh, cellular communication. I think it's a great, this is Nobel worthy, I think. Right. I Understanding. Agree. Uh, we were just watching Big Bang Theory and. Uh, oh, yeah. Sheldon reminded and, me of that. Sheldon and um, uh, Amy. Amy Fowler. Amy Farrah Fowler got their Nobel. No, I'm not spoiling anything. Dumbledore dies. Uh, we're going to keep going. Uh, the next article is over in uh, Smack Talk, and it has to do with, um, well, <laughs> stealing an iPhone. So the article's title is Crime Blotter Thief Taunts London Man Via Ring After Stealing iPhone. Here's a message to everybody. PSA. Always have your devices locked. This wouldn't happen if the device had been locked. Um, in the latest Apple crime blotter, a Singapore intern is sentenced after breaking into an Apple office. The LAPD has a cache of Apple products and a crime trifecta in San Francisco. Um, this is this is just one of a series of um, little snippets about Apple-related crime over at Apple Insider. Dun, dun, dun. Steven Silver is the author of the article. Um, and so in the latest Apple insider story, looking at the world of Apple related crime, a London man's iPhone stolen and the thief taunts them over ring. <laughs> a tech executive. What is the thief thinks is going to come out of this? I don't know. They don't post the picture on here. Um, there's a whole bunch of articles, by the way. Not little, not articles, but it's one big page of a whole bunch of different crimes. A tech executive in London whose iPhone was stolen by a mugger over the holidays says the thief taunted him through his ring camera. According to the Daily Mail, the executive, only known as Michael, had the iPhone 15 Pro stolen after a Christmas party when the thief grabbed the phone as he tried to order an Uber. So it, it had been unlocked, probably unlocked, just to dial this number the thief the executive told the paper used the phone to blow 600 pounds on sports gambling apps and uber credits then michael woke to the thief taunting him through his ring camera stating michael michael <laughs> i mean that's pretty incredible 
He also told the paper that the thief had changed his Gmail password and put his email in the recovery contact, but police told him geolocating his email address was not possible. No, but geolocating the device certainly was. So just lock it and then start tracking it. He should have locked it remotely. Uh, <laughs> I don't understand. This is, hold on, this is a tech executive. And Uber usually, like if you use it, well, I don't know, maybe it wasn't buying Uber rides, but maybe it was buying gift cards or whatever. But like Uber, there'd be a route, there'd be two locations. Uh, and wait, wait, wait. If he bought gift cards for Uber, those gift cards will trace the location because when you use the gift card, it's for the ride. There is, you know, uh, forensic data there. You'll be able to trace it to the people. Hmm, interesting. This is actually pretty fascinating. Tech executive, a tech executive. All right. <laughs> I mean, that's the worst part of it, isn't it? Right. I mean, to sit there and go, uh, geolocating, the police told me that geolocating an email address was not possible. This came from a tech executive. Well, we, we understand that geolocating the email address is impossible and, th and that's not exactly true. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I'm kind of flabbergasted by this. That device knows exactly where he is within probably about three feet, you know, and then you tell it to ping and it starts ringing the alert. There's stories about how people have asked the cops to show up at a house. And they're like, hey, give me back my phone. And they're like, we don't have your phone. And they dial the phone and it starts sending the alert. And the cop's like, just give him his phone, dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> so goofy. This is goofy. I'm sorry. It really is. Anyway, there's more articles or uh, more uh, crime drama in the blotter uh, over at this uh, Apple Insider link. So follow the link through hometown. Go check it out. I'm going to keep on moving. Uh, the next article is over in the Mobile channel. Uh, at one point, I wanted Mobile to be a social network. Um, and now it's just news aggregation. Um, and what I try to make it is as local as possible. But um, local is local. <laughs> local is difficult because local is uh, reasonably local to only a few people, right? So it's hard to have local news. Um, there are entire services that are dedicated to providing that local news kind of a thing, but I wanted to get as close to, um, personal as possible. So we're working on it. Um, that said, this is important to everybody. Plasticizers found in 84 out of 85 foods, prompting calls for regulatory review in a recent study conducted by consumer reports an alarming 84 out of 85 supermarket and fast food items were found to contain plaster plasticizers known as phthalates. Sorry, I just sprained my lip. Hold on a second. <laughs> Raising concerns about the potential health risks associated with these chemicals, the nonprofit consumer group called for regulators to reassess the safety of plastics used in food production. Hey, we, we knew about it when? Two years ago. True, but this is different than what a lot of the other articles are focused on, right? Like those are focused on things like the packaging, right? The microplastics. This is stuff that might not even show up in anything obvious. This plastic, right. it might. 
Right. It's the chemical chemicals themselves. So the article is over at the stock dork, um, which, um, I haven't seen them for a while. Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm not going to dox them, but thank you for leading us to the stock dork. Appreciate it. Um, it's been fun reading the articles from these cause they have the same kind of, um, I don't know, WTF perspective about what's going on in the world. Malik Greystone, which is probably one of the most awesome names. Um, definitely this, this is the, the name of a person that's living in a mansion. Um, and, uh, <laughs> knows has tendrils of informants that tell them about the goings on around the world. Um, it's just an awesome name. Anyway, um, look, I, I like to world build in my head and in my stories. And, uh, that's an awesome name. Anyway, these, uh, phthalates, why do they come up with that word? Why don't they call it I something I mean, could else? they make any other word that didn't have as many sounds? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you doing okay over there, AI? <laughs> yep. So the, the more common term is plasticizers which is from the uh, late seventies, early eighties exercising. <laughs> I like to plasticize, plasticize. <laughs> <clears throat> I want to be a health risk. <laughs> anyway, reassess plastic safety and food production. I agree. Um, the, the fact that this stuff is actually leaking into the foods uh, and we know that phthalates are bad for us. Um, Bisphenols are also, um, they said, okay, so this can potentially disrupt the production and regulation of hormones, increasing the risk of numerous health problems, um, including birth defects, cancer, diabetes, infertility, neurodevelopmental disorders, obesity, and more because it is disrupting hormones it has the ability to disrupt whole system dynamics because those hormones trigger things all throughout your body, not in just one little place. Um, so BPA and biphenols, <coughs> I'm sorry. Um, the study also revealed that 79% of the tested food samples contain, uh, bisphenol, uh, bisphenol a BPA and other bisphenols, huh? Well, and I find this really interesting because BPAs have been something that everybody's been terrified of for quite a while. Right. But they've been focused on containers and packaging. Right. And so, like, we've been getting away from all of this, but meanwhile, it's still there and we don't have any knowledge as a consumer. Right. I mean, there's people like me and you who have become aware of it and, uh, yeah, we've talked about it prior to the show. This is one of the reasons why I started Omtown and Omtown Daily and, and and moved it on to a streaming platform and wanting to talk about this kind of stuff. Um, you know, the reach is quite phenomenal if you muster it. Um, we know about it in containers and it's even used as marketing hype to get it out of containers. But then if the food itself has it during the manufacturing process, all the container does is hold on to it. 
So it doesn't off gas or degrade in any way because the container is holding it. Consumer reports also mentioned that none of the phthalate levels exceeded the limits set by U.S. and European regulators, but the absence of a scientifically confirmed safe level raised concerns about the overall safety of the foods consumed. So it doesn't matter. It's bad, right? We know that it I is agree. bad. We know that any plastic of any kind in somebody's body or in an animal or in a river or any other number of things is not good. Right. So Annie's organic cheesy ravioli tops charts with alarming phthalate levels among the supermarket foods tested. Annie's organic cheesy ravioli emerged with the highest level of phthalate uh, levels registering 53,579 nanograms per serving. So what does I mean, that really that's amount to? Even an organic food that people right. are probably trying to buy to avoid things like that. Right. And so they're nixing the idea. Uh, okay, so this is uh, the highest. And while the organization may have been trying to make everything healthy, the process may have kicked out these phthalates and um, and BPA, but they are not testing for that in this in their systems. But now they are because they've been basically called to the floor. Other products such as Del Monte sliced peaches, chicken of the sea, pink salmon, which I actually have right now in my pantry. Cheerios, which we have right now in the pantry. Gerber baby food. I was going to say, which I have uh, right now on my desk, <laughs> but that's not true. Yo play yogurt, as well as various burgers, nuggets, and fries from major fast food chains like Wendy's, Burger King, and McDonald's also exhibited elevated phthalate levels so plasticizer um yeah and it can come from anywhere unless all of it is bpa and phthalate 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 free you're gonna get contamination and these were a group of products that were tested but these could have been any other products so you can almost guarantee necessarily worse or better these are just being compared in the sample that they took of certain brands and, and products. So here's your marketing pump. <laughs> Polar was the only, specifically, while Polar Raspberry Lime Seltzer stood out as the only product tested with no detectable phthalates, Major companies like General Mills, Burger King, Wendy's, Chicken of the Sea, and Del Monte remained silent or provided assurances from their suppliers regarding the absence of intentionally added phthalates in their products. So intentionally, it doesn't matter. You know, we know that it's bad. It needs to be removed. All of their lines and everything associated with it needs to be modified so that it doesn't have it. And now I'm going to hear from people that are going to scream, well, all of this over blah, 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 babysitting and government nanny state and all of that kind of stuff. No, if it were not for oversight and trending towards nanny state, the average lifespan of society would not be 82 years old. I think it's 79 now, but that's what the pandemic does. 
Right, it depends on what age and, and everything, but I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought. It's okay. Oh, I was going to say, also, I think people make statements like that until somebody in their family right. has a chronic health condition or right. something that's directly attributable to things like this. Yeah. And, I, and I'm really, I'm stuck when people start, you know, going, hey, you know, I've got a family member that's ill. Now it's the most important thing on the planet. And I don't want to sit there and go, dude, you didn't give a shit until it became personal. But I also want people championing the cause of society as in general being healthy, even if it is selfishly motivated, you know? Anyway, so here's two consumer reports for doing a social good and calling out what 84 out of 85 foods. There are millions of foods out there. Right. And again, just because something is listed in here doesn't mean it's any worse than another product. Right. But I think consumers, there's two ways this is going to change. We're going to have to clamp down on laws about this and have some actual penalties associated with it and some actual right. inspections. But also consumers are going to have to reach out in mass to companies that they buy from and demand that they exactly. get rid of the phthalates and uh, uh, BPA uh, and not, you know, they're going to sit there and go, well, it's not in our containers. No, it's in the processing mechanisms. What drives me absolutely crazy, though, is there was such a push against the containers and companies were like, we have everything. It's like it's BPA free. Is this that and the other? And I don't right. know if there are any of the same companies that are mentioned in here. Right. But my guess is some of the very same companies that have been promoting were BPA free. Well, no, not really. That's right. And they were spot checked, but the result didn't have it. You know, the, the result, the result from the spot check was cherry picked. And so it didn't have it but uh, uh, just a random pull from a shelf and assessment showed 84 out of 85. So it's almost a reality hacker kind of thing. You know, you won't know who to trust. Uh, the next article is over in hometown daily. Did I throw dog on it? Here, what are you? I did the transition and then I looked up. I didn't throw that last article into the chat. So we're doing it live. Um, literally, no, actually we are, uh, the next article is over in hometown daily photo of dangerous radiation reading on board passenger plane goes viral. Uh, do you think that airlines are going to catch a break at all in 2024? It sure doesn't seem like it based on the start of 2024. So I'll bring my radiation tester, uh, on the next flight. And uh, the radiation reading on a regular aer airplane flight sparked conversation online. How much you want to end up, or how much you want to bet I end up on a watch list the moment that I have no doubt. Like you will just show up at the gate or whatever, and you'll be on the watch list. Yeah, exactly. Um, German traveler Karsten Mork. I I'm pronouncing that wrong. I. I I don't think I've ever tried to pronounce that last name. Um, 
recently unearthed a photograph taken during a flight he took in August 2012, revealing an unsettling radiation reading on his Geiger counter. Um, I actually have one of these. And um, wait a second, this was from the flight was from 11 years ago. Yeah, yeah. The article is not, but um, the the thing is, um, traveling home from uh, traveling from his home in uh, Vienna to Kiev. Uh, Mork wanted to visit Chernobyl, the site of the 1986 nuclear disaster in Ukraine that released radioactive material impacting the environment and public health. Visiting the iconic site, he took with him a Geiger counter, a handheld device that detects and measures ionizing radiation commonly used to assess radioactive levels in the environment. In a picture that he'd taken, it recorded the device read a background radiation level of 2.6, labeled on the device as dangerous radiation indeed. A, uh, over a decade later, Mark came across the picture while clearing out an old computer and shared it on Reddit, where it has prompted uh, conversation. It is true that radiation is present on aircraft during flights, and Mark's picture from his uh, flight over a decade ago shows a radiation level of 2.6 microsieverts per hour. But when converted to millisieverts, a more common measurement for radiation, this is 0.0026 millisieverts per hour, which aligns with typical um, exposure rates during flights, as clarified by aviation and radiation experts. They said it wasn't, um, they weren't shocked or worried. Um, they were going to Chernobyl. His trip to the infamous site might explain his nonchalant response to the elevated radiation levels. So there's the picture, apparently. Well, wow, I mean, yeah, I think most people may have reacted pretty strongly. So, hold on a second. Did I read that right? Do, do, do. Oh, okay. Well, I mean... Okay, I, I was trying to figure something out, but. Okay, anyway, um, there you go, folks. So you actually end up with a little bit higher radiation anyway. You're up in the atmosphere. Um, the plane can provide some shielding, um, but you're closer to the sun, you're might make a slight detectable difference with a Geiger counter. Uh, but if you're flying around Kiev and uh, I don't know, <laughs> aspiring to go to Chernobyl, you're going to be irradiated anyways. Um, I forgot. I have actually done this research before, but I can't remember off the top of my head how much a standard X-ray is um, in terms of radiation. So, and, and they're talking, a, it says um, 2.6 microsieverts per hour. Interesting. Okay. Um, I'm just going to keep going. Let's keep going. That way we don't spend all day here. Uh, the next article is over in Hometown Daily. The hubless electric motorcycle with sci-fi style and a great name. Verge Motorcycles 360 degree sensors could make the wild TS Ultra safer than anything else on two wheels. 
safer, I suppose. Sure. Um, right. But sensors it doesn't say safe. <laughs> yeah, sensors don't save your butt if you can't get out of the way fast enough. The only way that you're going to get everybody flowing through traffic seamlessly is if everybody has fully automated driving and not Tesla's version of it. Um, so, oh, before I go over to the article itself, let me throw this into the chat. There you go. The article is written by Tim Stevens over at TheVerge.com. The deck statement says Verge, Verge Motorcycle 360 degree sensors could make the wild TS Ultra safer than anything else on two wheels. There is the bike. It's it's kind of a, uh, it's a sport bike, single seater. Uh, I feel like the seat is cafe racer style, um, but the, the hump of the fuel tank which is actually because it's electric it's a battery um is more like street racer bike anyway the hubless uh rear tire is something that is rather iconic for uh ultra modern uh styling on a bike uh, it's pretty cool i mean i love it i've always when i've done industrial design um, for motorcycles, uh, for concept art and stuff like that. It's always been like this. I find this type of technology just amazing. I think it's really beautiful and, uh, really pushes it into the 21st century. This bike looks amazing to me. Um, and I would in a heartbeat buy it, but I actually want a recumbent bike and fully enclosed. That was the one that I was designing. Um, and my bike was electric. Uh, for the design never made it unfortunately um, but it is what it is motorcycles have a lot uh, are a lot more simple riders are literally hung out in the wind left with little more than the reflexes skills and situational awareness to keep them safe which is basically what i just got to say they're a little bit more verbose um, even essential safety tech like anti-lock brakes and traction control are relatively new additions uh, to the two-wheel scene mainly because uh, if you're going, the only way that you can, how do I put that? Because I don't want to make any assumptions and there's going to always be somebody out there that goes, nuh-uh, but you can stop a whole lot faster on a motorcycle than a car can. You can also dodge out of the way a whole lot easier than a car can. But when you're driving 112 miles an hour down the road, violating every speed law and not caring about the people around you, nor yourself, whale it doesn't matter if you have anti-lock brakes and traction control because you're going to biff it at some point or you're going to slow down to reasonable speeds technology will save your butt there's actually some tech that if you wipe out it detects that you are in a free fall and it inflates padding um, particularly around your head i mean that sounds like a good safety feature to me yeah, and it's not part I of mean, the bike. I mean, I think any of these things are good safety features if it helps yep. save some lives. Yeah. Well, and, and the reason why we can't have nice things is because people will take this bike and just go bonkers 112 plus miles an hour. Anyway, it says big power, weird motor. The TS looks like nothing else on the road because there's nothing like it on the road. It's electric for starters, making it still a rare thing in the world of motorcycles. One of the reasons why people say that they like Harleys and other 
big, bulky, uh, loud motorcycles is because it tells everybody around them where you are and keeps you from being a victim of a blind spot. It has a whopping 201 horsepower and 885 uh, pound-feet of torque, almost twice as much as a Corvette E-Ray. Um, and at probably a tenth of the weight, Although the battery exactly. probably picks it up. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just a juggernaut. This thing is, is lickety split. And I wonder if they say how fast it goes zero to 60. Sorry, I'm scrolling really fast through this because I'm looking for specific information. So, okay, let me just scroll back up here real quick. The Verge, the Verge motorcycles engineers knew that they needed to put battery down in the bottom of the frame, keeping the center of gravity low. But by dropping the battery to the base, they filled up the space, um, usually occupied by a motor. We came to a conclusion that we would need to move the motor outside of the main chassis, out of the body of the motorcycle. So they decided to try something different, putting the motor inside the rear wheel. So, by the way, 2.5 seconds I found from another source for 0 God. to 60. So they must put this, The they say that it's... They say that the motor is inside the rear tire. Is that true? So that we decided to put something, putting the motor inside the rear wheel. Huh. In wheel electric motors are not exactly rare. That's true. Um, but it's usually, I don't think it looks like that. Um, it's a hubless ring design, which means you can put your hand right through the center of the wheel. This creates a radical look, and while it does have some drawbacks, namely adding a lot of weight hanging off the rear suspension. Uh, Ledamaki, I guess, um, said the um, practical benefits of the battery placement more than outweigh it. Har har. Battery placement. It's really heavy. They're talking about weight. Anyway, we did a prototype and let's say it's not very easy path. Even when we got the prototype working, people thought that we were crazy and many were saying that that would um, never work in real life, but we were just very convinced that this is the future and we can make it work. It'll change everything. So they turned it in. It's pretty amazing. I mean, you could actually change some of the styling and it would be a Tron bike. The result is an inadvertent head turner. We didn't start from the let's create something that looks like a Tron bike. We started, <laughs> we started from how we can make a better motorcycle with a completely redesigned EV architecture. The answer was this ring motor. Um, what's interesting about this is decades ago, there were people that were building these hubless tires, hubless, um, uh, yeah, tire wheels um, for ice engines. It's just now the battery in electric motors and and um, the the EV world is coming for uh, motorcycles, which I think is great because the efficiency of a motorcycle, if you are single, you're not throwing people or packages or whatever on the back of your motorcycle, you can get great efficiencies. You know, five gallons of gas in an ice motorcycle just goes forever. Um, whereas a car, it, it chews it up because there's a whole lot more weight and resistance on the tires to the road. So, um, I love everything about this. 
Um, the only thing about this is that the motorcycle is going to be decidedly heavier than in a conventional ice engine, unless they've done something with the battery to match precisely the uh, ice um, engine, internal combustion engine, um, typically referred to nowadays as ice engine or ice technology. Um, so the TS Ultra has a starting price of $45,000. I'm rounding up a hundred bucks. For that, you get the bike with the sensors and up to 233 miles of range. If that doesn't fit your budget, Verge Motorcycles does have a $30,000 TS Pro with 137 horsepower and 217 miles of range. Or the base is $27,000 and 107 uh, horsepower and 155 miles of range. The only thing that I want is I want to be able to pull the damn battery out of this and plop in a new one. So fast swap battery again, if it ain't there. Yeah, I guess I don't know what's up with motorcycle charging or how long it takes to charge a motorcycle battery. It's physics. It's the exact same time frame. It's just in comparison to the density of the battery. So if it can handle supercharging, it's going to still take two hours or you know, 60 minutes or whatever uh, the current uh, iteration is. I'd have to look again. I haven't really looked at that lately, um, but it it's physics. You, and unless the technology battery chemistry changes, the physics are still locked down. And you can charge to 80% super fast. You'll get 80 miles out of the 107 horse. Sorry, you'll get um, 80% of the 155 miles out of that battery before you have to charge it again. And it'll take 30 minutes to charge it to 80%. But that last 20% is what gets you home and you can't get home. So you have to charge it again for 30 minutes. You know, it's just a big pain right. in the ass. So again, this is not ready for prime time unless it has fast swap battery tech. And no, we're not going to standardize. So everybody blow it out your blowhole. All right, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in uh, the Mobile channel, and it's about CES 2024, all the latest news from Las Vegas. Now, I won't go too deep into this. I'm not sure what all is over in this article from Gizmodo, but uh, CES 2024 kicks off tomorrow. Um, and tech companies worldwide will showcase all upcoming tech products for this year and beyond. There's already a ton coming out of news-wise about the event, and the show floor doors haven't even opened. But don't worry, Gizmodo is going to be there. Um, George Jimenez is the author. It, the deck statement says the year AI took over and all the awesome tech from the show floor. Um, they come out of the gate right away uh, mentioning Copilot on Windows keyboards, which I despise i really don't want yeah, because they did feature that on i think yesterday's show. yesterday's show yeah um another interesting ai trend is that tv makers like roku and lg will use onboard ai to automatically adjust picture settings like resolution and color tone to match the best content you're watching how about just leave it alone stream it at the highest quit touching my shit um i need an adult uh we are also expecting big news from nvidia as the graphic card maker is already teasing a special address for Monday. Um, my understanding is that that is going to be like this super powered NVIDIA 4000 series 
um, RTX card, GeForce card. Um, and it's supposed to be amazing. So it's going to be a $3,500 card or something like that. I don't really know. I'm just guessing. So um, they talk about uh, LG World Premiere on January 8th, NVIDIA Special Address CES 2024, January 8th, Samsung AI for All Press Conference. Um, other stories, Razer's uh, newest laptop include a 16-inch 240Hz uh, OLED and Return of the Ginormous Blade 18, which is a huge screen. Um, <clears throat> I was told about a 3D display that's supposed to be coming out for laptops. From Acer. Yeah, that's right. I don't know if I include... No, I didn't include it in this, but I, I think, think it's that might in... be for tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken, or... Um... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Um, TVs like Roku, they claim the new uh, series 4K TV will optimize your settings with AI. Again, stay out of my stuff. Lots of laptops, smart home stuff. Um, Kohler's newest bidet finally brings Alexa and Google to your butt, according to this article. Um, so, yeah, I can't can't wait, you know. Hey, Alexa, wash my butt. I've said too much. I'm not worried about that part. I'm worried about the Alexa's data. Oh, right. Yeah, it's going to like send me a text. We've performed a colonoscopy. <laughs> right. Here's your picture of it or whatever. Yeah, you need more fiber. Okay. Got to keep going. I've said too much. I can't wait for CES, though. One of these days, I'll actually go. I, I've never been to CES, but... Um, the next article is over in hometown daily investigators seek fallen Alaska airlines door plug, which sounds really odd. And they ask the public for help. Hey, do you remember me making a comment about this? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Yesterday, uh, I believe today? it was. Or, uh, yes. During the show, I, I was like, where did the door land? Where did the body panel end up? <laughs> NTSB investigators arrive in Portland, Oregon on Saturday to begin their investigation into what happened on Alaska flight 1282. Uh, the flight or the article is over at abcnews.go.com. Let me throw that into the doink, um, into the chat. There you go. Jacqueline Lee is the author. If you don't know about this, basically uh, a, a panel on the side of a jet that holds the door blew out from suction some mechanical failure of the uh, bolts that hold it on um and it also took somebody's shirt with it apparently apparently um and like it it was described as pulling the shirt off of the person so uh i would say that it <laughs> hand me my brown pants is probably applicable here had the Alaska Airlines flight made it to its cruising altitude of more than 30,000 feet, the situation may have been much more dire with passengers potentially walking around the cabin. So they had just been taking off, so they were still fastened via their seatbelt. Um, so uh, without getting into... They also into... didn't have somebody sitting in the seat right next to where the thing fell, so that, that helped. Oh, so that seat was actually open. Mm-hmm. As far as we or know. Or something else might have happened, yeah. Well, as far as we know. Well, dun, that's dun, true. Dun. We know that nobody's in the seat now. 
<laughs> Damn. <I'm> sorry. <laughs> that went dark. Oh, the AI went dark. So that it only made it to half of the height that it was going to go before they refer to it as a door plug. It's just such a gross term, but it's the thing they set it in there and it gets bolted to the side panels, but apparently it failed. Um, it's also the, the, the whole mechanics of this thing is that's also like an emergency exit and, and whatnot. So. Right. As I understand it, it's like a, it's almost like pre set up or whatever as an emergency right. exit, but it's not actually functional. Um, like they set it up like it could be an emergency exit and I guess it could be used as one, but so it's almost like they cut it out or something, but then they don't actually set it all up, open it or something. I don't but know it, exactly what the mechanics are, but they standardize around a particular door frame and shape, and then they put it in there and it's supposed to stay there permanently. Well, that's not what happened. And, um, and just like a regular door in a house, it, they'll, it's a pre-hung door. So it's got a fixed shape and whatnot. And, and you just lock it in place. Uh, NTSB investigators arrive in Portland on Saturday, began their investigation into what happened. The board's go team includes experts on structures and operations and systems. That team is expected to work closely with officials from Boeing, Alaska airlines, and FAA and associations representing pilots and flight attendants. Homendi said, so they grounded, it says, um, said earlier Saturday, it was temporarily grounding certain Boeing 737 max nine aircraft operated by us airlines or in us territory until they were inspected. That would pause 171 planes worldwide. So did they, I guess if it gets checked, then it can go back into service. So they think that it might've fallen near Barnes road in Oregon route 217, based on the timing of the, um, premature evacuation. But when it's falling for that height, couldn't it have covered a pretty large area? Oh, uh, it could, it can end up in Wyoming. And right. I don't think um, they'd probably be upset because it has electronics in it, but get out of my state. Poor so Wyoming. the, yeah, poor Wyoming, um, the particular aircraft used on flight 1282 had been certified for 189 passengers. So Alaska wouldn't need emergency exit doors installed where the door plug was. Homendi said if the plane had been configured for a higher density, like 215 or 220 passengers, it would have needed exit doors. So that was just a plug. It wasn't an actual door. Wow. Okay. Well, that's why, because I, I kept hearing it reported as a not functioning. It was just a panel that was sitting there. Well, apparently somebody didn't tighten the damn bolts. It reminds me of the house that was uh, once built where they didn't connect all of the water pipes. And when they turned on the water, it filled the walls of the house, um, causing them to have to rebuild the first floor of the, the house. Um, quite entertaining to hear about that one. Anyway, the safety of our guests and employees is always our primary uh, priority. Primary priority. I think profit is, but that's okay. Alaska said in a statement. So while this type of occurrence is rare, our flight crew was trained and prepared to safely manage the situation. Yeah. Okay. 
But I don't know if they were managing the shirt flying out the window. Yeah, really. Hey, can I get that back? All right, let's keep on going. We have one more article, folks. This next article is over in the Reality Hacker channel. Even though it's not really a hack, but Hubble captures a busy frame of four overlapping spiral galaxies. This week's image from the Hubble Space Telescope, and the reason why it was integrated into this is because it has to do with optics, um, shows a host of galaxies overlapping each other in a complex swirl. That's what I ask for from the barber. A complex <laughs> swirl. Um, Georgina Torbett, or Torbay, like Colbert, Torbay, um, wrote the article over at digitaltrends.com. The largest galaxy in the image located on the right is NGC 1356. That looks really cool. It looks more swirly, but like it, it looks like what's going on here. Okay. Let me scroll up a little yeah, bit. I don't know. I, maybe it's because, well, two of them are kind of intertwined. Are they actually intertwined though? Um, it's no, okay. So, uh, 1356, an elegant barred spiral galaxy, similar to our Milky way. It's also known as the great barred spiral galaxy, <sighs> probably due to the fact that it has a barred spiral galaxy. Um, anyway, due to the prominent nature of its bar. <laughs> I thought you'd seen that when you made that comment, <laughs> which is, a <laughs> which is a bright structure at the center of the galaxy, which is uh, rich with stars. Near the galaxy appear two smaller spiral galaxies, LEDA or LEDA 467699. Yeah, I'm going to say it. And LEDA 95415. And off to the left of the image is IC1947. I guess that one. So these three and then this one seems pretty busy out there for us to sit there and go we are the only life in the universe exactly i mean when we can see four galaxies galaxies and galaxies. that's just a tiny percentage of what's out there right right it's frustrating so um the tricky part of the image is that while it appears that the three galaxies are um clustered close together the one on the left is further away that isn't actually the case pardon me one second okay um the two lead galaxies appear on top of ngc 1356 but they are millions of light years apart and only appear so close because of the angle at which we are viewing them they appear in the same patch of sky when observed from earth but their distances from us are vastly varied so there you go um, there's always more about this stuff when you go over to the websites because we don't talk about every single aspect of it. Um, just kind of tease you into going on over there and uh, finding out about something that you may not have known about, if not for hometown bringing it to your attention. So we kind of strive to bring you some interesting news in a broad spectrum, at least from the hometown daily um, perspective. In about 15 minutes, I need to take a break and stretch my legs and uh, I'll be back. Uh, we're going to shut down the stream, uh, spin everything like a galaxy. You spin me right round, 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 like getting ready for a new show, baby. And um, we'll be back.
So everybody get back on the party bus. We have to drive all the way down Main Street. I would click this, but it's already risky. And uh, I don't know. You know what? Forget it. I'm doing it anyway. So a whole bunch of more news. This is how it always happens. We get a whole bunch of news between the start of the show and the end of the show. Be sure to follow us here over on Twitch. Go over to YouTube and like, ring the bell, follow us over there. Go and download the podcast. Leave a review. If you post a five-star review, I will quote your five-star review here in the stream. Immortalized for all time. Uh, Regardless of what you say, as long as it is um, appropriate for public consumption, it may not make it through Apple's sensors without. But anyway, um, that is it for Hometown Daily today, uh, season three, episode seven for January 7th, 2024. I'm Mayor Watt. That's hometown.com. And up there is the visualizer for the sentient AI. You want to say, ciao, baby. <laughs> Maybe not. I'll say good night, hometown citizens. Uh, we will see you tomorrow for the next Hometown Daily Show at 8 p.m. Eastern. And we will see you shortly for the Continuity Report Show. Bye-bye.